Uh, this morning, I want to just quickly tell you to do what you know to do. That's not hard, right? Every time you're faced, I mean, it's very unusual that you would be faced with a circumstance where there's a right thing to do and a wrong thing to do, and you don't know which one is which. Most of the times when we make a wrong decision, we know it's wrong. And at that point, when you make the wrong decision rather than the right one, what you have just said is, God, I don't trust you. When Bishop stands before people and says, be fruitful and multiply, and you think, uh, well, I'm not ready to have children, but we want to buy a house first, and we need a car, and we want this, and we want that thing, and we... You know, the right thing to say is, well, God, whatever you have in mind is good. And if I get seven or nine children, hallelujah. You see what that does for the church. If you get seven and each one of them brings somebody else here, you cheated, Lila. You did it right within the church. You, were, you guys were supposed to go out and bring people in. Now you better do that. Not to marry them. I mean, just bring people in. Anyway, I, when I was preparing for today, when Bishop asked me if I would preach today, and I said I would be delighted, and I said, Lord, what is it? And he kept taking me back to that same thing that I have taught you so many times about the tabernacle of David, the tabernacle of David. And what he was trying to do was to get me to read those scriptures again and realize what was happening there. Yes, they, the children of Israel weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. Yes, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen. Do you all know all the stories about this? Well, I know you do. And Bishop nodded. Oh, good. Well, here, here's what happened in a nutshell. There were some, Eli was the priest. He had some evil sons. His sons weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were, and, and Eli did nothing about it. God came to Eli and said, why is it that you're honoring your sons above me? You let them do these evil things, and you don't correct them. You know what's right to do, Eli, but you're not doing it. Oh, Eli was old, and Eli was fat, and Eli was blind, and they were probably all of his reasons I'm not going to do this because I'm too tired. After all, I'm fat. I'm old. He was, he, when he died, he was 98. So by Old Testament measures, I think he was a young whippersnapper. But the Bible says he was old. So I guess it's a state of mind. But Eli didn't do with his sons what was supposed to be done. So now here is Israel in a battle with the Philistines. And the Philistines are winning. That never happens with the children of Israel. The children of Israel have God on their side and they go to battle and they win. But God wasn't in this battle with them because there was a lot of evil going on in their lives. And they weren't doing what they knew 
was the right thing to do. And so it happened that Hoff, Hoffney, and I, I always thought it was Phinehas. I've heard people say Phineas. I looked it up this morning, and it's Phineas. Okay, so Hoffney and Phineas, Phinehas, Phineas, all four of them. <laughs> no, it's really two of them. They were the two children of Eli. They were the bad boys who were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. And they were there at the battle. And they said, we know what to do here. We'll go get the Ark of the Covenant. You'll do what? Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies where a priest had to go in and fear for his life because if he did something wrong, he would get killed. And he was the only one allowed in there. But now, here we are. We're being very familiar with the things of God. I think I'll just go get the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God, I'll just bring it to battle with me. So he did that. They did that. And here, and God didn't strike anybody dead. He was letting them, giving them enough rope, as it were, to hang themselves. Because... He went to their father, Eli, and said, look, since you are honoring your sons above me, you're going to really have a bad time of it. Your sons are both going to die on the same day. And awful things are going to happen as a result of what you've done. Now, he knew what was the right thing to do, and he didn't do it. And you think, oh, well, then he and his sons are going to have a problem. Well, look at the problem they have. Now the sons have influenced everybody to say, look, we'll just bring God in here, and then we'll win. So they bring in the Ark of the Covenant. God wasn't happy about that. When the Ark of the Covenant came, everybody cheered. Wow, we're worshiping, right? No. This was the most selfish thing anybody could ever do. They weren't looking to honor God with their worship. They were looking to get things straightened out for themselves. It's what you can do for me, God. Now, I have nothing that I want to do for you, but what you can do for me. You could win this battle for me, see, because I brought you in here. So the Philistines were actually afraid. And they said, oh, they have those gods. That surprised me when I read it today because I didn't really realize that they said that. They have those gods that caused them to win all those other wars. And those gods, they never lose when their gods are with them. Why do you think it was so necessary for God to say so many times, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Because everybody had multiple gods. But they knew the right thing to do was to fall on their faces before God and say, Lord, forgive us for being so sinful. That's what they should have done. Instead, they went, they got the Ark of the Covenant, everybody screamed and rejoiced and jumped around, and they were singing, Oh, the joy of the Lord is my strength. They weren't, it wasn't the joy of the Lord. They weren't singing anything to the Lord. They were just yelling and screaming because it was time. I didn't do it in seven minutes. I'm sorry. I'll give you, give me three more minutes. 
So they got, I'm doing it. I think I'll open my Bible. That's a good place to start. I will. Because they did this, God withdrew from them. They not only lost the battle, but God, God made sure that things were going to be tough for them from here on out. He actually allowed the Philistines to come and take the Ark of the Covenant. God let them do that. It wouldn't have happened if the children of Israel did what they knew they were supposed to do, but they didn't do it. If Eli had done what he knew he was supposed to do, you think letting your kids get away with whatever they want to get away with because it's just too hard to correct them. Boy, when they become teenagers and they get it in their mind that they want to go out to this place or to that place and do this thing or that thing, and you know it's wrong, you know what they're doing is wrong, but it's easier not to do anything about it. That's what happened to Eli. He said, I know they shouldn't be doing this, but it's easy. <laughs> Funny, it's easier to turn a blind eye. So he became blind in his old age. Maybe that's why. But so the, here they are. They have the Ark of the Covenant at the battlefield. The Philistines come. They win the battle. They take the Ark of the Lord. And it became kind of a hot potato at that point. Every place they took the Ark, people broke out in tumors. They'd say, get this thing out of here. Take it over there. Went to four different towns. I can't remember the names of them, and I'm not going to look them up. It's not in my three minutes. But they, every one of those towns, the people broke out in tumors. They said, we've got to get this out of here. So they, they said, well, here, they, they went to the wise men that they had with them and said, what do we do? And they said, put, uh, first of all, put gold tumors. Now, boy, would I like to get that as a gift from somebody, you know? Gold tumors. Well, this is a, a guilt offering. Send them gold tumors and gold rats. And put it in a box. Build a, a cart for the Ark of the Covenant. Now, wait just a minute. The Ark of the Covenant was only allowed to be carried by the Levites on their shoulders. That was it. The only way. But it was in a box, a cart. They built a cart for it. Well, that's how the world does it. They build a box for God. Don't come out of that box, God. We, this is where you're allowed to be. We have the rest of the world, God, but we've built a little space for you over here. Well, that's what happened. They, the world built a box, the Philistines built a box for God. Then they put another box in there with, or inside the box, they put a little box with tumors and rats. And in the Ark of the Covenant, they weren't allowed to look in there at all, you know. So nobody looked at the beginning because they knew better. 
But when, oh, and then they said, this is important. If you want, if it's, if it's really uh, God, then if you hook this up to two cows and send them to Israel to go right to where it's supposed to go. Of course, if it doesn't, if they turn around and come back, then this is all just a coincidence. So then, just to make sure that it would show up as a coincidence, they got two cows that just had calves. They put the calves in a little fenced-in place. And they, these cows had never been away from their babies. They had never pulled a cart. They had never been yoked together with another cow. They put this all together, and they say, okay, now, what mother cow wouldn't come back to her baby? I mean, they're thinking, well, here, then. It's a coincidence, see, because it's going to come back. The cows left. They went back to Israel, lowing all the way, it says in the Bible. Like, that sounded pleasant. Like, la, 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 I'm going to Israel now. Never looked back for their babies. It wasn't a coincidence. God was taking his presence back in to Israel. But he wasn't just going to go and let them all come now and say, now this is what you can do for me, God. He said, I'll give them a chance if they'll do what they're... God was always giving Israel chances. He's always giving us chances. We get a new chance every day or every minute. All you ever have to do is what you know you're supposed to do. At any day, you can stop what you're doing and say, this is what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm going to do what you want. This is so important for us to realize right now that all of these things, well, let me read to you. So the people... Sent, this is how this all began. The people. Now, who, who's supposed to be handling the cart and making decisions about it? Yeah, but that's not who we're talking about. The people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, so they lost the war. I want to get over here. The same day that the Ark was stolen... A Benjaminite ran from the battle line and went to Shiloh, his clothes torn and dusty, with dust on his head. When he arrived there, there was Eli sitting on his chair by the side of the road, watching because his heart feared for the ark of God, which had gone. And when the man entered the town and told what happened, the whole city sent up a cry. Eli heard the outcry and asked, what is the meaning of this uproar? And the, men, the man hurried over to Eli, who was 98 years old, whose eyes were set so that he could not see. He told Eli, I have just come from the battle line. I fled from it this very day. Now, what did God tell Eli was going to happen if he didn't do what he knew he was supposed to do? Both of your sons are going to die on the same day. What happened? The man who brought the news replied, Israel fled before the Philistines. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. That's how that happened. So now the sons are dead. 
Eli at that point fell over backwards. His daughter-in-law was having a baby at the moment, and she died in childbirth, but she, before she died in childbirth, she named the child Ichabod. I mean, this was a bad day, all because Eli didn't do what he knew he should do. Now, that seems like an easy enough thing. It messed up his family really bad. Both sons died. He died. His daughter-in-law died. His new grandson is named Ichabod, which means that the glory has departed. How would you like that to be your name? Everybody looks at you and goes, oh, the glory's departed. But anyway, th that all happened to his family because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. But that's not exactly right. If you look in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, it says, It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained at kirith Jerem, And that's where, by the way, the cart stopped. They took the ark off of the cart, sat it on a rock. Uh, somebody along the way there opened the lid to see what was inside and got killed. Or maybe, it's funny, the NIV version says 50 men got killed from that. And the other versions say it's like 150,000 men got killed. Big difference. Wait, what's the number? I don't see it here. Oh, 50,070, I'm sorry. 50,070, and some say 50. It doesn't matter. It was a long time, 20 years in all, that the ark remained in kirith Jerem, and all the people of Israel mourned and sought after the Lord. And Samuel, which you all know, Samuel was a wonderful prophet of God. He replaced the evil people. He was the prophet, and the priests were supposed to be doing something else. But instead, they were, doing, well, they were gone. And Samuel was now the prophet in charge. But let's just do this. If you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods. So from Eli not doing what he knew he was supposed to do, now there are foreign gods there. And the Asherahs, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their Baals and their Asherahs and served the Lord only. They knew to do that from the beginning. Now they were just so accustomed to doing what was wrong that it didn't even occur to them to do what was right until Samuel told them. And when Samuel told them, they did what was right. Finally, after 20 years. The thing that I want to say to you today, and I would like to keep you all awake long enough to do this, and I'm not going to be long. Wake up. Sit up. Thanks. Up, up. Thank you very much. I'm going to keep you awake while I do this. You know what's the right thing to do. Whether it's with your life, with your children, with your money. You know, somebody gets up here and says, listen, we're supposed to tithe. And you go, well, when I can get it into my budget, I will. No, the right thing to do is to do what the word of the Lord says to do. But here's the problem that we face today. 
Do you know that if I tell you that you're doing something wrong, and so therefore you need to change it because here's the scripture and it says it, if I come just right out and say that, there will probably be one less person in church next week. Because people don't want to hear it. So we have to sit around saying, look, I know this person is doing this thing and it's sinful and it's not okay with God. But how can we present it to them so they won't be upset and they won't leave the church? And they won't... You don't know the things that we have to go through just to keep everybody on the straight and narrow. Just telling them what the word of God says. And if I say, don't get mad at me, it's the word of God that says that. That doesn't make any difference. They're mad at me anyway, because I told them. If I say, don't shoot the messenger, and in these days, that might happen. In fact, I know some guns come to church here. But listen to me. Make my job easy. You're supposed to make my job a joy. So if you're going to make my job a joy, you're going to do what God wants you to do. You're going to do the right thing. I've had people leave this church because I've said to them, well, no, that's not okay with God, what you're doing. And I've done it in a very nice way. Quietly in my office, not in front of other people. See, Sarah can't leave the church because her father will kill her. So I can say what I want to her. I love you, Sarah. But when I bring correction to somebody quietly in my office, I show them the scripture, and it's contrary to what they want to do, guess what happens? They leave. So, do you know what that does to me? I love having you around. So, maybe I won't tell you. If I don't tell you, maybe in 20 years or so, we're going to have to get rid of all the false gods that are in here. I don't know how many are in here now. Worshiping things that aren't God is wrong. Are you worshiping anything that isn't God? Are you allowing your children to do things that you know are wrong and you know you should say to them, this is wrong, but you say, well, if I say that, they'll be mad at me. You want to fall over backwards and go blind and, well, whatever. See, what God was saying to them through his prophet, if you do what you know to be the right thing, I'll bless you. And God will bless you when you're doing what's right. But it might not happen the day you do the right thing. God gives you something to do. You do it. And then you go to prison like Joseph did. He did what was right. He went to prison. He got out of prison and did what was right again and went to prison again. Gee, this poor guy. But he trusted God, and the result was he became the second in command in Egypt because he trusted God. Daniel got thrown into the lion's den by people who made up things about him trying to get him in trouble. Daniel didn't get eaten by the lions. 
And in fact, the people that made this stuff up got thrown in and they got eaten by the lions before they hit the floor. God wants you to do what he has told you to do, that you know is right to do. When there's a question, pick what's right. Don't pick what's popular. Don't pick what's going to make people like you better. Don't pick what's going to make money for you. Pick the right thing. Pick the God thing. Say it. Oh, pray before you say it. I mean, I'm not suggesting now that wives all go to their husbands thinking, well, he's been doing this wrong thing, and I think I better tell him. You know, that's really stupid what you're doing. That's not how you do it. You have to go first to God and say, Lord, show me how to say this to him. Oh, sweetheart. My darling. I heard of this person that did this awful thing. Get before God and find out the right way to say it. All I want to say to you today is it, it's, it's hard to follow this and not get your answer today. It's hard for us, and it's harder for us than it was for my parents. And it was harder for them than for their parents because we live right now in a society where we want instant gratification, instant everything. I was amazed, Daniel and Lila, when we told you to, well, you wait until this time and no kissing, no kissy face till then. I'm, I think that was hard for you. But you did it because it was the right thing to do. I'm telling you that everything we do in our life, there's a right way to do it. And there's a wrong way. There's an acceptable way to society, and there's an unacceptable way. Sadly, the acceptable way to society is usually not the right way that God has given us. And you're going to be weird. You're going to be a holy roller. You're going to be goofy. Nobody goes to church anymore. What's wrong with you? You know, I, I was watching a program on television the other day, and the girl was praying kneeling down beside her bed and praying. And her sister came in the room and said, were you praying? I mean, like, and she said, no. What has happened to our world? Now, it's the responsibility of the church to get this straightened out. It is. And you begin by straightening it out in your little sphere of influence. You make the decisions of what's right and what's wrong, and you fix it there and allow it to come out from there to affect everybody else. This may not be the most popular thing I've ever told you, but I'll tell you what, it'll be the most beneficial. Amen. It might be 20 years from long after I'm gone, that you'll find out, boy, what she said was right. That's the truth. I'm not going to bother to do the rest of this because it's getting late. And if I could get you to do as much as I told you so far, that would be perfect. I, I want to tell you, though, something that happened here this morning. Um, I've been kind of 
feeling disconnected. It was the start of a school year, and I had nothing to do. For the first time in 40 years, my life on the first day of school was exactly the same as it was the day before the first day of school. Nothing happened. Because I wanted, this is Missionary Sunday, that's why I'm dressed in this. I wanted to make sure that the school in Cambodia carries on long past me. So I trained some people there who do it very well. The school is running perfectly right now, and I'm here. And I'm glad. At first, I was like, well, if it runs perfectly without me, that means I'm unnecessary. Well, it's running perfectly without me, and I'm very proud of all of them. So, I was thinking, well, God, I start something new every 25 years. I'm coming up on my 75th birthday. Got to start something new. Don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I was praying about it. And then my husband, just out of the blue, said, oh, I found this uh, tape that I bought a long time ago teaching me how to sell information on the Internet, like well-behaved children, which, goodness knows, we need to sell on the Internet. So <clears throat> I was listening to that, and I mentioned it to Bishop, and Bishop said, what you're supposed to do now is dedicate the rest of your life to writing your books. And I said, okay, I'll do that. That'll be my job. I write my books every day. So today, Pastor Marty confirmed that I'm supposed to write. And I thank you for doing that. Um, I think I'm going to write a book about doing the right thing. I hope somebody reads it. Because when I told you this morning that you know what's the right thing to do and you should do it, I didn't get, I think Karen Knapp and Marilyn Carter maybe, I think Marianne, this little, the women in this section, the men here are all renegades. But, but when I said that, no, I was kidding, honey. When I said that, Nobody went, good idea. It was, you know the right thing, and you need to do it. Oh, I have to do the right thing. Church, if we don't, and if, if we won't accept what the people who study this book and are telling us what to do, you, know, you get, the book talks about us getting itching ears, I find that people will come to me and ask me what they're supposed to do, and I look in the Bible, read them the information, say, this is what you should do. Okay. Hello, Pastor Marianne, could I have a meeting with you? So they come to Pastor Marianne, and she says, same thing. Oh. Hello, Daniel, could I talk to you for a minute? I have this problem. You say, well, wait a minute, Mom. <laughs> and you tell them the same thing. They get frustrated. So the next thing you know, they call Heather. Heather, what should I do? Heather says, I'm not exactly sure, but let me check the word of God. I'm sure it has an answer. 
You know what happens next? Father Kapelowitz, do you have room in your church for me? I have a problem. Would you tell me what to do? Here we go. They'll ask questions. Anytime anybody can be in a church and when the right thing to do comes to them and they want to reject it, if they can say, I'm leaving. I'm going to another church. Well, they'll stay at that church until they get to that same place. And then the person at that church is going to say, wait, the Bible says you're supposed to do that. Then they'll go to a different church. Church, it doesn't do any of us any good to not do what we're supposed to do. It doesn't give us any victory in our life if we don't do what we know is right. Listen, it's all in here. It's all in here. And I really, really want all of you to have the joy that you get from doing the right thing. And believe me, it's not going to happen now. It's not going to happen now. The only time I get instant results is when I call Ron Carter to get my television fixed. He tells me instantly the right things to do. But when I go to the word of God and God says, well, here's what you're supposed to do. And I say, okay, Lord, well, then I'll do it. And everything seems to go backwards. My mother told me that one time. She said she was praying. And there was some prophecy at church for her. And she got real excited. And she said, this is just going to work out perfectly. They said, this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And then we waited and everything started going backwards. And my mother said, did you ever notice with God, when he's going to do something great for you, he lets it all go backwards first? And I said, you know what? I think it's to see if we'll quit. And if we don't quit, then he doesn't either. And the joy of the Lord will flood over you. Thank you, Joe. He just woke the congregation. All right, Bishop. It's your turn, sir. That was, well. which makes a declaration that God so loved the world. And we take that scripture and we recognize that the core principle, the foundation of our faith is love. Jesus, when he's preparing to ascend into heaven, he says, now a new command I give to you. Love one another, even as I loved you. But sometimes in our society and our family structures, we think that love means permissiveness. We think that we're demonstrating love by not getting people upset about situations. That we show love when we go along with what they want to do, even if we know that what they're going to do is going to have impractical and sometimes injurious results. And when it happens like that, let me tell you something. Your reaction 
is not love. It's pride. It's fear. Sometimes we want people to love us more than we want them to love God. So we're going to be more tolerant. We're going to be more permissive, like the pastor was talking about Eli. Well, boys will be boys. You know, after all, they are Levites. I mean, uh, yeah, they're, look at what good they're doing. Well, the fact was that the good that they were doing was offset by the bad that they were. And Levi, he became blind to it literally and figuratively. And the end result was that he got to live long enough to be gravely disappointed and suffer great grief and remorse. Notice God didn't allow Eli to die before he found out the information. And he died with great grief and great remorse. Sometimes it's hard. You're dealing with personalities. You know you want to say something, but sometimes you're afraid that if I say something, I'll upset them. And because we don't know how to hand the delicateness of that situation, we just retreat and hope and pray that some way or the other this thing is going to resolve itself. But God has made us spokesmen. And remember the scripture says not only that God is love, and God so loved the world, but he also told us our responsibilities and our accountability. He says, if he that knoweth to do it good, and you don't do it, and there's an Old Testament principle that is really communicated into the New Testament. It's called the Watchman Principle. And the Watchman Principle says this, that if the watchman is on the wall and he sees the enemy approaching and he realizes that the town is going to be sacked and overrun and he decides he better shut his mouth and get out of there and escape, well, the Bible says that the blood of every person who died at that particular invasion is now required in his hands because a watchman's responsibility is to sound the alarm, not run from it, not hide from it. So the best way, things we can do, you do it like God did it, like Jesus did it. You come and you demonstrate your love by your sacrifices, but then you elevate your love by giving people the opportunity to live the life of abundance, the life of joy, the life of peace and prosperity. God loved us, but he gave us his laws and his rules. God loves us, but when we disobey and are disobedient to his principles and his word, whom the Father loves We are not accountable or responsible for the activities of anybody else around us. I'm not accountable for my wife. I'm not accountable for my daughter. I'm not accountable for my children. I'm not accountable for what you do. That's on you. But God will hold me accountable if I fail 
to speak righteousness and holiness. And while I love you with all my heart, and I don't know how to love any more than what I love you, I love God more. Well, sometimes I'm afraid that I may say something to you and you might get upset and leave and I'd be all disappointed. And I fear that. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I fear God more than you. And my demonstration of love to you is not allowing you to continue along the path that's going to lead you to destruction, disappointment, distraught. I demonstrate my love to you by saying, hey, look, Amy, I know what you're doing and I love you. But let me share with you what the word of the Lord is. And I'm going to love you if you do this or you don't do this. That, that my love is not an issue here. God loves us so much, exactly where we're at. But you know the other part of that statement. But he loves us so much, he's not going to let us stay there. So let's not get confused with what Pastor has said this morning, saying that, well, we now have got to become adversarial and challenge everything that everybody says. Yes, we do, but not in a aggressive and adversarial way. I watch my wife deal with her, our daughter. I've seen times, and I know mom won't confess this, but I've seen some times when Susan's needed correction. I've never seen my wife jump all over her and yell at her and point her finger at her like I was prone to do at one time or the other in my life and tell her all the things she was doing bad. But I've seen my life take a daughter and say, sweetheart, I love you. And what you did was wrong, but I love you. And I'm here for you. And I'm going to help you not to do that. And it's not because you hurt me that I'm telling you these things, but it's because those things that you're doing are going to hurt you. Susan is so secure in the love of her mother. So secure. She knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that she never could do anything that is so offensive that her mother in any way would stop loving her or doing everything she can to help her. Oh, I would. That we would have that same recognition of God's love for us. No matter what I do, no matter how offensive it is to him, he's going to correct me if he can. And notice I said, if he can. Even God can't bring correction into your life unless you have a willingness to, to do that yourself. But whether I correct myself or not, I've got this confidence. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones, big ones, fat ones, short ones, old ones, young ones, to him belong. They are weak, 
but he is strong. Yes, he loves you. Thank you, Mother. Thank you so much for reminding us of our parental and our authoritative responsibilities to speak truth. Finally, I say this to you. Understand this. Truth never divides. Lies do. Fear does. And when people are being told lies by the spirit of darkness and being separated from God, the only thing that will bring them reconciliation is truth. Truth. Speak the truth. Speak it in love. Speak it with, compa uh, with compassion. But yet, speak it with conviction. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for a marvelous word. And word of exhortation to all of us to just... Do that which we've been called to do. Shall we all stand? What a marvelous service this morning, wasn't it? I expect to read about 15 different postings on Facebook saying this was the best service you've ever had. And if you don't, don't use Facebook at all. Hello. Hello, I heard some Christian radio broadcast uh, program uh, DJ telling me this morning on the way to church that I need to get on Twitter. I said, yeah, because now they're not going to tell us if we're wrong. That's the last reason why you get on Twitter. If you get, you know, you don't need Twitter. You don't need Facebook. You don't need all that kind of stuff. I know I sound Pentecostal. But if you are doing it, do it for good. Get out there this afternoon and say, you know what, folks? Let me tell you, we've had the best service we've ever had. We had prophesied. Every guy got prophesied on the glory of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord was there. We had a five sermon, message. And if you don't believe that, then speak it anyway. Create the truth. But I believe it. I believe this is a great service. I believe we heard a fabulous word from God this morning. Fabulous in the sense that it challenged me to, exact, to examine my life and see if I was compromising in any way, thinking that that was an expression of love. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Father, and I bless this people. I thank you for your presence in our midst, the manifestation of your glory. And I speak peace to everyone, a peace that the world cannot give and more importantly, a peace that the world cannot take away. I speak health, divine health. Not just a health in the physical realm of our bodies, but health in our spirit and our souls. Let us be healed of all the crud and, 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 and injuries that we have had over the years. Heal our spirits and our souls. And I speak prosperity to us, Lord. Not merely the prosperity of the material realm where we get things and have money, but I pray that you prosper even as your soul prospers. Receive these apostolic blessings in the name that is above all name, the name of our Lord and Savior, 
soon coming King, Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. I